Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 24 of Music is Not a Genre. That is MXG. I mean, I've got the, the, the hands down now. I just need the speed. I finally have the hands down. I need the speed. If you're only listening to this, you're missing just a wonderful spectacle of hand dancing. Thank you, as always, for watching and or listening. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. The public hub is youtube.com slash at music is not a genre. My website is nickdomatio.com. If you go to the contact page, you can sign up for the newsletter. Send it out a few times a month so you get a lot of, a lot of cool stuff there. And as always, please listen to and support my band, Rec, at recarea.bandcamp.com. Uh, there'll be a little story about Wreck a little later on, actually, related to the content here. Let's get to the content. This week's episode is titled UK Hip Hop, The Brits Always Do It Better. So right off the bat, I know that's controversial. Maybe not for everybody. And I don't know that it's completely true. But I think as a general statement, I would agree with that. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let's talk about what we're talking about here today. And that is, as you know, if you've been following this podcast, a lot of what I used to do and still do from time to time is is mine the treasure trove of CDs and other types of uh, music that I have and base an episode off of that. So what I had here, and I've been planning this since last season, honestly, I wanted to do something on UK hip hop and UK music, it, not not on the breadth of UK music, but the approach that UK music takes as opposed to US music, let's say. And I have these two artists here, which if you are watching, you can see, and if not, I will tell you. There are two CDs here, two albums from the artist Dizzy Rascal, and three albums from the artist The Streets. And I'm going to Go over both of those artists, uh, their careers, kind of an overview and their styles and everything like that, uh, how I discovered them, etc., etc. And then I'm going to break out into a more general discussion of UK hip hop, hip hop in general, the fact that this year, as of this recording, it's February uh, 2023, this will be coming out in March, a few months from now, it'll be the ostensible 50th anniversary of hip hop which we're going to talk a little bit about. And just then in general, how UK music is produced and approached differently from US music. So it's kind of an overview. And then, of course, ending with the spotlight song. So let's get into Dizzy Rascal first. First artist to emerge of the two. Uh, started in 2000. His name is uh, Dylan Cobana Mills. And I discovered him in 2003 which was also the the when his first album came out here boy boy in the corner this yellow album here i'm pointing to if you're only listening look it up boy in the corner uh dizzy rascal dizzy is two z's and two e's and rascal is rascal and i discovered him that year because the british artists basement jacks dj artists who were one of my favorites at the time put out an album kish cash which I don't know as much about that artist as I would like to. I haven't followed up with them that much. I've listened to some of their things, but I still say Kish Cash is just a monumental album and an amazing album and really representative of the kind of electro electro and techno and house and all that stuff, DJ music that was going on in the 2000s. 
Kish Cash with K's. Pick it up. It's worth listening to. Stream it, whatever you do. And there was a song on there called Lucky Star, which was one of their singles, I believe. And it featured Dizzy Rascal. And I loved his style. So I bought this album here, Boy in the Corner. So Dizzy's style is uh, he uses dubstep. He is he is one of the pioneers of grime, which is a form of hip hop and just kind of general like electronic music in Britain. Uh, and he's fast. He's fast like you might hear on some of the Outkast albums of the time or even before then. And he's still around. He started in oh like I said oh one. His first album was out in oh three. And he has put out, you know, singles and stuff recently. And his last album was 2020. And I'll go over the discography very quickly so you still have it. And he still has hits in his home country. I mean, there are plenty of other hip-hop artists who have come since then who are who are bigger at, at now. But he was a critical darling and acclaimed. And, you know, I did a little bit of research and listened through to his catalog for not all of it, but just kind of sampled it from past these two albums, which obviously I've heard all of uh, before. And he's remarkably consistent. His style does very slightly, if I you know had to describe it, it there's elements of UK Garage. Like I said, he's a pioneer of grind music. Uh, the bass line, which is just a heavy bottom. Uh, and, then, and then there's some R&B in there. But it really feels... It feels very kind of heavy electro. Uh, and yeah, you're going to hear a lot of dubstep in there as well. And the way he raps, his the way his vocals are, like I said, very quick. And he's able to get intricate syllabic combinations to roll off the tongue. And yet, and this is interesting. And yes, I do have a bias in some ways toward Brits and British music. And that includes the accent, and he certainly has, you know, a signature British accent. Uh, there's something about the way he is able to do what he does quickly and intricately, and you can still not just understand, because there are a lot of rap artists that you can understand, you know, as quickly as they're doing, but you're getting the meaning of what he's saying for some reason. And I think that's part of his magic is that he's able to really convey the, you know, emotion and meaning through all that intricacy. All right. So the quick, you know, overview of his discography, there is Boy in the Corner was an absolute smash when it came out. Uh, One of my favorite songs on there is Fix Up Look Sharp is a pretty good representation of his early style and the energy on that album was just non-stop it was incessant i think i listened to that album over and over and over or this album if i point to it and the follow-up here showtime critically apparently was very acclaimed now i remember getting it and thinking oh he's he's pulling back the energy a little bit and you know he he still had some aggression there, but he might, he's getting a little bit more contemplative. There's a certain way that it was produced that kind of stepped away, maybe from the dubstep or uh, even some of the drum and bass kind of stuff. And that wasn't where I was. So I liked it. Didn't love it as much as Boy in the Corner, but according to the critics, it's amazing. Uh, and obviously I have it, so I did enjoy it. So I would recommend you know, doing that. He then uh, followed up with the album. That was 04 and 07 was Maths and English. 
uh, 09, Tongue in Cheek. Uh, then a little break here, and then 2013, The Fifth. 2017, Rasket. Uh, Don't Gas Me was an EP in 2018, and then E3AF, which I'm sure stands for something, in 2020. Uh, and I I listened to a few things and some of the top singles uh, that are streaming that came out in 2011 had that early energy. So and then I listened again to stuff that from from E3AF and it's the same thing. There is a con- just a remarkable consistency in what he does, you know. And to me, so so grime just you know it's fast, aggressive, it's jagged, electronic. Uh, kind of comes from like UK Garage and Jungle. It developed after Grime kind of had its day into first day anyway into Drill, which was really hardcore, uh, you know, electro more so. And then Grime kind of had a resurgence a few years ago, and blah blah blah. So now now it's kind of all there in one way or another. And I think to me, mm, I mean, I won't. Get, give you a generalized statement yet about what I think is specifically different about, you know, the the global like UK hip hop as opposed to US hip hop. But after I go through the streets and kind of describe that, you'll get a sense of where it is I'm coming from with this, because even though they have very different styles, there is a certain similarity, aesthetic similarity and approach that that differs quite a bit from, you know, uh, U.S. hip-hop. Not all. Again, these are general statements. There's a lot of U.S. hip-hop, like, I remember a band from uh, about a decade ago, and I, they may still be around, called, the, called Death Grips. And talk about hardcore electro. I mean, they were, there were some songs on the albums that I heard from Death Grips that were just hardcore insane and experimental in a lot of ways and very unlike almost any other kind of U.S. hip-hop. And that's 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 something to note as we get into the streets and into some general statements. So the streets. Mike Skinner is the guy's name. Started in 2001, even though he's a little, actually a little bit older than uh, Dizzy Rascal. I forgot how I discovered him. There's a really good chance I probably read about it and this album was acclaimed, or I might have looked up what other hip-hop artists from Britain or whatever because of uh, Dizzy Rascal. Uh, or actually, I guess I got this before Dizzy Rascal, so that wouldn't be the case. Like I said, I don't remember. But he's still out there. Uh, he's performed under a couple of other names uh, in, in the interim, but then came back to the streets a few years ago and has, as recent as last year, released an EP. So... Again, very con, you know consistent and good to see that both of these guys still have careers. Uh, that hiatus, which was from 2011 to 2017, was when he just wasn't doing anything under the name The Streets. He partnered up with some other people. He, he formed a band called the DOT and then subsequently formed a band called Tonga Balloon Gang and then came back to The Streets in 2017. So the first album, original private material, in 2002, which is this one over here with the high rise, I guess the estates, maybe you might call them in Britain. I, I'm not sure if that's an estate, but I always like that. Uh, amazing album. And before I even get to the rest of the discography, I I have to make some comments about the style that, that, that the streets has. And 
Uh, well, again, there is some UK garage in there. Uh, there is reggae and ska to a degree, but there's a lot of indie rock. And I think it wouldn't, it may have been the first or one of the first hip hop artists anywhere to heavily incorporate indie rock into what they're doing. Obviously, hip hop has incorporated rock in its history. I mean, you can go as far back as Run DMC or the Beastie Boys and so many things in between that have incorporated rock music we know that you know funk and r&b and reggae and ska and electronic music you know all of that stuff and so much more has always been a huge part of hip-hop soul you know whether it's sampling or recreations or whatever it is uh you don't get as much of rock and indie rock throughout its history but it does pop up now and then and it did here you know with the streets there was a reviewer of The Guardian, and I'm sure I got this on Wikipedia because that's one of my main sources. Uh, not the only one, but one of the main ones. A guy named Dave Simpson who praised Skinner's The Street's dazzling wordplay. And here's what's interesting about that. Everything, as far as I know, and I haven't heard everything, but I've heard quite a bit. And it seems like the, his rap style, it's like he is telling a story there are pauses that happen between most of the lines that make you feel like he's just thinking it up on the spot which i don't think is true uh, and that he's almost avoiding meter avoiding any type of rhythmic repetition in his lyrics and not that you you know i i love studying how hip-hop's primary li- uh, rhythms change you know, like you could say uh, at the beginning it was uh, hip, 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 but to the hop, but it don't stop. You know, like it, it was very declamatory. You can say Sugar Hill or Curtis Blow. And then it goes to, the, to uh, you know, Run DMC where it was a little more forceful. The lines were a little shorter. And, you know, they would da, 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 like that kind of a rhythm. And then rhythms got much more. Uh, you know, l- loose and laconic in the in the late 80s and even more so in the early 90s when you had like De La Soul and A Tribe Called Quest and people like that. And then, you know, you had some things happening in the early O's and in, you know, that were more, uh, the ends of the lines would would, you know, change as far as rhythmically. It wouldn't end where you think it would end and things like that. And then, of course, there's mumblecore, rap which has happened a lot lately which to me is actually akin kind of brings it back around to what the streets is doing it's not that he you know mumbles his lyrics and is that kind of laid back about them but the way he spits is very it's it's very it's again seems like it's coming off the top of his head and even though you can pick up the structure of the lyrics they don't shout at you and not that i don't like that i love that too but you can you can find where the alliteration the rhymes are and all the other you know things that connect it and and structurally make it more uh poetry than prose lyrically you know speaking but but it's almost like he avoids punching the point is i guess a good good way to say it and and his lyrics are often contemplative uh, there's some, there's a lot of story there. They're philosophical and the music 
usually reflects that. If it's not indie rock, it's it could be. Uh, if you remember some of, uh, you know, when Dido's, you know, partnered with uh, Eminem or however that worked out, like that kind of feel. There's a lot of that on uh, what the streets does or has done, at least the stuff that I've heard. So original pirate material, again, has it come to this, is a good song to start with because that kind of is that style that I was talking about where it uses that kind of softer feel but with some hint of haunting, you know, nature in it. Uh, The next album here in the middle, A Grand Don't Come For Free, there's a song on there called Dry Your Eyes, which I really liked, but it's also just a very strong album. And then two, uh, 2006, uh, The Hardest Way to Make an Easy Living. Uh, there's a song on there, Memento Mori, which I just fell in love with when I got this album. It's 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 a darker album, and it, that serves it well. I wish I know why I knew why I did not get the next album in 2008. Everything is borrowed, but I plan to listen through to both these guys catalogs, you know, at some point um, since I've done some of that already. I'm I'm really kind of wet my whistle. Computers and Blues was 2011 and it was the last Streets album for quite a while. Right. So then he switched over to the band The D.O.T., and released two albums, and that in 2012, and Diary in 2013. And then with Tonga Balloon Gang, he did a bunch of singles and EPs from 2015 through 17, and then reformed the streets. And released in 2020, none of us are getting out of this life alive, which gets a perfect title for a guy who's that kind of philosophical and contemplative. And then a fun uh, kind of political title for his 2022 single slash EP Brexit at Tiffany's. Uh, and very similar, you know, like his voice is matured somewhat and not to its detriment, but it it's not quite as, uh, you know, uh, kind of pointed and uh, attitude as it was in the beginning. But again, that consistency of kind of contemplation and all still is there. And so when you take these two as a whole and you say, okay, Dizzy Rascal has more of that, uh, elect, you know, hardcore electro approach and the streets has more of a, I would almost say indie approach to a lot of what he does. Although there's certainly a lot of electro in there and both of them have, you know, kind of that funky hip hop, you know, soul R&B to one or more extents, Dizzy more than the streets what you find, and this may just be because countries are different, people's interests are different, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't think that's entirely true. I think there's a different aesthetic, and and I'll say it this way: the music that is created in Britain, especially the music that is riffing on American music, so you can go back as far as the late fifties and sixties, and British invasion and all that. You can you can even talk about like, you know, Led Zeppelin with the blues or or Black Sabbath with, you know, harder music and uh the second British invasion in the late seventies and early eighties and how they, you know, took quite a bit from disco and techno and all of that stuff and all the way on up, 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 you know, through the ages, there have been British artists who have interpreted American music. And a, I just happen to like their spin. I think there's a certain 
you know, kind of onlooker, like look looking from the outside where there's a freshness to the way they interpret whatever kind of music it is. But B, and I think this is even more important, is that they don't seem to be restricted as much by genre or the expectations of a certain genre. So, you know, a good example would be, uh, let's say Dizzy Rascal, or even let's say The Streets, where if you listen to most hip-hop from any specific era, a lot of what came out in any era sounds like you could you can pinpoint it because it's, you know, there were only certain sounds and styles of music that were considered uh, acceptable or cool to use to create that hip-hop music of whatever time that was. And yes, there's been experimentation throughout and people have bucked the trend and people have started new trends. You can talk about Timbaland and Missy Elliott in the 90s who, you know, kicked off some things that that changed really what made, you know, early 90s uh, hip-hop different from late 90s hip-hop or whatever it is. But I think on the whole, and this applies to pop music, this applies to quite a bit of, I think, rock music, and this applies to, you know, techno dance, whatever, you there there's there's more uniformity in production and arrangement in America than there is in the UK. And I defy any of you to to come at me and say that that's not true. That and if it's a bias, I own up to the bias. That's cool, but I I want to be very uh, clear in stating that I've listened to a lot of music from both sides of the ocean, and there are times where I've heard artists like Ellie Goulding, let's say, and at the time, a few years ago, there were a lot of songs and and female singers who were doing you know music like that kind of like pop electro pop you know with a certain force to it maybe you could say and before i even knew who she was there was something different about her sound that i said "Ooh, i like this this rises above a lot of what i'm hearing and even even though there are plenty of american artists i like of all kinds and when I discovered she was British, I said, oh, of course. Because I can't tell you how many times I have listened to an artist not knowing they were British, but thinking, oh, that's a neat spin on the stuff that's already going on. And then, bam, it's a British artist where they're bringing in certain sounds and certain uh, things that you would think or that definitely in America would not belong in that genre, and they're putting them in there. And I find that to be, you know, very much the case with UK hip hop. And it could be one of those things like, well, I live here, saturated with American music. So you hear something that's close to American, because let's face it, they're both English speaking countries. And, you know, that's not necessarily, you know, talking about global music, uh, or at least very far afield. But that is the part that makes it seem kind of interesting because it's familiar in an unfamiliar way. Uh, the same, I think, has been said or I've said about like certain Australian bands or Canadian bands, you know. But Britain, I think, holds the standard as far as just like consistently good music. And from what I understand, and I'd like to find out firsthand, I've only been there once and it was a long time ago, 
they are real music fans. And it's they're not as, you know, vocal and raucous. But what I've been told is it's because they're actually listening to the music, you know. And they, you know, just think of the, the Welsh and Scottish scenes and what's happened out of there, you know, a lot of pop and power pop and things like that and twee pop. I, I can go on and on and on. Like I said, it's an overview. I'm not going to get deeply into. I may do a, an episode one day that dives even deeper into the significant differences between uh, very similar UK and US music. But that hopefully gives you kind of an overview of where I'm coming from with this. And I may refer to it again as uh, we go on and on and on. Uh, some, In fact, let me give you some, you know, again, like I said, Led Zepp, Black Sabbath, the new wave, new romantics of the early 80s. You know, Def Leppard even, to me, when you're talking about hair metal, even though there were a lot of successful hair metal bands in the 80s, there was always something a little, again, different about what Def Leppard did, uh, lyrically even, too. Or then you get into, you know, Tricky in the 90s and Trip Hop, and then uh, I think Mark Ronson and Calvin Harris are two of the best kind of, like, DJ-ish producers out there. Uh, and even though... And the, it's funny. I was looking up artists to say, oh, well, US, UK. But then the two guys I went to were David Guetta and Martin Garrix, who are respectively uh, French and Dutch. Uh, and yet, I'm going to say it, I don't find their production as interesting as I do Mark Ronson's or Calvin Harris's. Uh, you know, so again, it sort of proves it in a sideways way. Uh, Ellie Goulding, like I mentioned, Dua Lipa. I'm on. You know how much music that's similar to Dua Lipa has been out there or has certainly come out since then. And I'm even talking about, you know, uh, people like Lizzo. Dua Lipa and Laura Umvula, much lesser known, but uh, both British artists, uh, you know, and they have this, again, the sound they're creating is just to me more interesting than some very similar stuff that has happened here in the States. And I think partly it's because the people in the States who are of a certain level of success tend to gravitate to the same producers and you can even talk about when I discussed in that one podcast uh, the Rina Sawayama album and and the whole Clarence Clarity thing and who else she used as producers. But even as something as you know recent as well, I don't know, just think of all the like I, was it Kelly Clarkson who just put something out and then Demi Lovato put something out and Pink put something out. A quality music all around and the thing that that I think rises above with all those are the vocals, like a thousand percent the vocals. There are times to me when the production also rises above and times when I feel like, oh, they're doing what other American artists are doing and there's not necessarily anything significantly new there. And that, you know, so what? You could say so what in that if it's a good song done well and the lyrics come across and the emotion and the performance comes across, who cares? But I'm, I'm a studio head. So I'm always listening for things that pique my interest, you know, sonically. And when something comes in, that's what I try to do with all of rec music, is I try to throw in at least one element that you wouldn't expect to be there, but that still works. So that's that's the the overriding point. 
that I'm trying to make here. Let's go. Let's let's give a tribute first of all to hip hop. That is again ostensibly uh, 50 years old this year. Apparently August 11th, 1973, when DJ Cool Herc spun uh, some records at a birthday party for his sister, I believe, in the Bronx. And yes, a lot of the the birth and the development of hip hop and early hip hop, especially, happened in the Bronx, just a little north of here. And I think that in some ways you could say, yeah, I mean, how else can you say it? You know, because a scene started and led, uh, I think I want to say six years later to finally it being, you know, put it on wax, as they say, was recorded for the first time and sold by record companies, etc. And I'll talk about that when we get there. It's as good a year as any to say it's the birth of hip-hop, and that's wonderful. And the fact that something that to me and to many people has always seemed like a new-ish form of music is 50 years old kind of slaps you in the face and say, let's get over ourselves, you know. But let's let's talk about a little bit about the history then. And again, this isn't a, an episode just on the history of hip-hop, so it's somewhat of an overview, right? In the early... Uh, Oh, yeah, sorry. I have to I was like, wait a minute. This isn't this isn't what I wanted to talk about. So, yeah, hip hop history I kind of broke it down into phases. And after I do this, I'm going to jump back and talk about how UK took off of that and had their own sort of phases. There's the proto phase in the 1960s up through like 1973 where you had People from Jamaica and other islands, uh, Latinx countries, uh, primarily U.S. immigrants uh, of color, doing uh, certain kind of emceeing over instrumental music that was proto-rap. It's often been quoted that uh, this comedic actor, singer, musician, uh, Pigmeat Markham's 1968 single, Here Come the Judge, was the first recorded proto-rap song. If you find an earlier one or a better representation, let me know. I've read that several times. Uh, I I remember that song when I was a kid. I'm too young to remember it when it came out, but I remember my dad used to kind of sing the chorus of that every now and then. And then you have the early development. This is the pre-recording era from 73 to 79. Apparently... And that's, you know, you're talking about people like Africa Bambada, DJ Cool Herc, and Grandmaster Flash, and all the you know, people like that. Again, the Bronx, and this is all live parties, and break beats, and scratching, using disco and funk records, often even using some uh, rock and other types of records, you know, like that to kind of throw in whatever kind of fit, like real DJing, you know, real crossfading and layering and stuff like that. But what I read is... People usually say that the sugar, was it the Sugar Hill Gang, whatever, the song was the first recorded song. Apparently, a little bit before that, there was this uh, funk band, the Fatback Band, that released a song called King Tim the Third Personality Jock. And I listened to it. It sounds a lot like Sugar Hill Gang, but it came out a little before, which just to me says a lot of bands were doing the same thing at the time. And it was just kind of who beat who to the punch as far as putting out a recording. You know, and that was in 1979. And then the first successes, the first, you know, finally it's on record. People are starting to listen. This is the first time I really became aware 
of hip hop was from like 1979, 80, when you have Apache and songs like that, uh, you know, up through things like, um, you know, Jam On It or whatever. Like that to me, that era is like 80 to 85, uh, fleshing out what rapping meant as a thing separate from where it came from, uh, more electronic, like, uh, you know, use of like Kraftworks type sounds and, and, and riffs and things like that, Planet Rock and all that, or minimalism when you talk about things like, uh, you know, they used to call, they used to call drum machines beatboxes, which is where the, and then they would say, well, when a human does it, they're called a human beatbox. And that Fat Boys, if you know them. And then, they just shortened it to beatbox, not meaning the drum machine, but meaning the act of doing, you know, physical sounds, rhythmic sounds, you know, at beatbox. So that that came out a lot. You had minimalism like uh, Run DMC, you know, just rapping over a beat often or a beat with a guitar and a bass, maybe a keyboard sound. And, you know, even LL Cool J and all leaving, leading into that, you then get to the next phase, which is where they started to have more mainstream hits and bigger hits. That's the mid to late 80s. The Beastie Boys, of course, uh, it, the hip hop became more overtly political when you had people like Public Enemy come in there and NWA. But then Fresh Prince, so there's a lot of pop. You had uh, Lottie Dottie and Slick Rick. I'm going to talk about them a little bit later when I go over UK hip-hop. But then you also had crossover like Walk This Way with Run DMC and Aerosmith. There were more movies. There had been movies, you know, as early as I think 82. Wild Style and Breaking and Beat Street and all that. But then you had Crush Groove. And, you know, it was starting to influence fashion more. Uh, that's when sampling started to happen much, much, much more. And really the heavy sampling was like late eighties into the nineties before the courts caught up with it essentially. And then it kind of blew up and went eclectic to say, well, we can continue to be, you know, hardcore or, and declamatory, or we can pull back even more and get bands like, uh, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Diggable Planets, um, even Young MC, again, I'll talk about them later. And the production is really tight. It was drier. Same changes that happened in other kinds of music from the 80s to the 90s where it dried out a lot of the reverb. And to me, I've always felt that, at least as far as my tastes go, and I've seen it written too, and you know, your mileage may vary, that that like... You want to go maybe to the late 80s, but through the early for mid 90s is the golden age of hip hop, you know, and then it kind of crosses over into more uh, kind of boastful and blingy kind of, uh, you know, there was a realization that this could make a ton of money and let's go for it. So after people like Tupac and Biggie, you know, were sadly were out of the picture, it switched over to more kind of like, you know, ludicrous and stuff like that. But then you also have Missy Elliott, who was pioneering at the time. And there were a lot more, even though women have been a part of hip hop since the 70s. And you can even talk at 80s, Roxanne Chante, and then late 80s and the 90s, and Queen Latifah and salt and Peppa and all that stuff. You got Missy Elliott. And then from that point on, you know, or Lil' Kim or whatever, the, you know, the presence of women in hip hop never, to me, never waned. It just kept growing and growing and growing through the mid-2000s. When you get to the late 2000s and early O's, 
that's when things just kind of blew up because it happened in a lot of music where now you had uh, the internet and free and easy ways to record music from your home. And so there was a lot more diversification of what was going on in the hip hop world, which is why you might get a band like the Death Grips, you know, and or Chitty Bang or, or another band like that. And it was at a point where I think the early O's, there was some mid-O's dominance in, in terms of the charts. I think it was one of the, maybe the first time that hip-hop was the biggest seller. And it, it apparently dipped slightly after that. But that was, I think, partly because of the internet, because every damn thing dipped. And, but also there was more indie, more experimentation. And then all of a sudden you get out of that, just this explosion of... What starts to me out is like indie, like Kendrick Lamar and Drake and uh, uh, the ASAP gang and all of that in the mid-teens to late-teens that revolutionizes what's going on in hip-hop. And again, with, you know, people like Nicki Minaj and Cardi B and just and just all of the, you know, female presence is it, it's become now... It's in what's the what's a good word for it? It's unavoidable. You, you, no matter where you go, you're either going to hear a hip hop song, strictly speaking, meaning with rap, or a hip hop song which hip hop as a style doesn't have to actually have any rap in it. It's a style itself. It's a style of uh, art and fashion and music, and rap is just something is is also a type of music but it's a specific subgenre i think of hip hop and it's also what you do in a lot of hip hop songs but you have this diversification of styles and sounds and deliveries in the from the mid teens on that i think has never stopped so let me then go back and say well all that was happening in the us but shoot you know hip hop's everywhere in the world and first, I'm going to talk about UK because that's partly what this is, you know. And then I'll talk about a little bit more globally, you know, what's what was going on or what is going on. So in the 19 early 1980s, you had bands like Wham and Adam and the Ants doing uh, raps within their songs. You had The Clash who, after their first album or two, were just so freaking diverse in what they did. They included like reggae and ska and stuff, but also a lot of rap. And uh, I, I don't even want to say hip hop. I don't think they ever did hip hop, but they rapped in their songs. And then the manager, Sex Pistols, had a single uh, in the early 80s, Malcolm McLaren, uh, Buffalo Gals, which I think if you know this kind of music, everybody knows that, right? And then to me, there was a period when not a lot crossed over from Britain hip hop wise you you know i had to look this up and there were some apparently some stars in the 80s Derek b and rebel mc right but then towards the later 80s mid late 80s again you had slick rick you had young mc bust a move and those were the to me the first like true big time crossover like pure hip hop successes it is those people like that you know so late 80s into the early 90s Again, you have bands. I don't think there was a lot of crossover there uh, as far as actual hip hop, like rap with rapping. And again, I, I'm kind of flubbing what I'm trying to say here, but I think you understand, you know, or hopefully you'll understand the difference between hip hop as a style and, and rapping as a function of that style, right? So you had Hijack, Silver Bullet, Gunshot, The Brotherhood, 
Cookie uh, Cookie Crew was an all female band, and they apparently were popular in Britain in the early '90s. And there was also a lot of in, uh, music influenced by hip hop, or could be called hip hop in style, but without any rapping, like Soul to Soul, which was a music collective with their hits "Keep On Moving" and "Back to Life," which I can still hear in my head right now. They're incredible songs, and again. Songs that caught my ear at that time that to me were similar to, but different in a good way from American music of of the same kind. You had the band Stereo MCs who had been doing, you know, hip hop or live instrument hip hop since the mid 80s. And they had a song called Connected, which was their big hit in the States anyway. Uh, Nena Cherry's Buffalo Stance. Again, not a rap song, but you, you, you got, you're crazy if you don't say that it's some kind of a hip-hop song or at least hip-hop influenced. And then mid-90s, and again, kind of murky for me because I guess what? I don't live in that country, the UK. That's why I had to look this up. Uh, artists called Roots Maneuver, Mark B, Mr. Scruff, and The Herbalizer, uh, I think a lot of those people, again, started in the 80s, like the ones I'm going to mention next but then came to prominence in the 90s, Massive Attack with Tricky. And there's this Massive Attack song that's come back recently that just blows me away every time I hear it. Unfortunately, I didn't put the name down here. If any of you guys are listening or watching, comment. Tell me what it is. Uh, It's a haunting song. MF Doom. You know, so then you had trip-hop and and garage-influenced hip-hop and all of that happening that all of a sudden artists in the UK weren't just making, you know, let's say a chart impact on hip hop. They were starting to make an actual cultural and artistic impact on hip hop across the world. Going into the early 2000s, all those people were still working, but then you had uh, two big female rappers, uh, Shiesty and MIA, which, I mean, you know, everybody still, I think, knows who she is in the States. Uh, Klashnikov, Akala or Akala, Loki, Poisonous Poets, Grime was big then. In the later 2000s and early 2010s, you had, and then of course, uh, don't let me forget, Dizzy Rascal in the streets in the early 2000s. You know, and through the through the O's, really, they were they were pretty damn successful. And I think Dizzy even longer than that. Uh, but the but through the late 2000s and early 2010s, you had bands like N Dubs. Uh, there's there was Tenchi Strider. Tiny Tempa, Chip, Chip, Chipmunk, later known as Chip. Again, I don't know these artists, uh, but I want to at least throw them out in case somebody's interested in exploring UK hip hop through the ages. That was post grime. That was UK drill. That was that era, you know. And another artist named Plan B, who was a hip hop DJ, you know, and all of that. When I was forming Wreck, I told you I'd get to this. Back in the early O's. We, we made a list of names that was maybe 20-something long before knowing, you know, you cross-referencing, does somebody have that name? And one of my favorite names was Plan B because I had a career as a solo artist. And then I'm like, I don't like what's happening here. I need to switch it up. I need to form a band and do some different sounds and et cetera. So it was a Plan B. So I thought, oh, that's a perfect name for a band. Looked it up. Somebody already had it. That's who that is. A British guy. I'm like, of course, it's a British guy. It's no accident that I named my first rec album, Parts and Labor, 
spelling labor, L-A-B-O-U-R, because I wanted to, as I said in other podcasts, make an homage to the UK and the influence of the UK on my music. Then in the mid-2010s, you had Koji Radical, Slow Tie, Lil, Lil Sims, who people still know here, Loyal Carner, Jess, Task Force, King Cashmere, Miss Diggy, Skinny Man, and a guy named Dave, who's apparently one of the biggest hip-hop artists in the UK to this day. And I think that's just freaking awesome that his, you know, artist name is Dave. My brother's name, too. Late 2010s through today, you have Stormzy Skepta, who's apparently huge. Bugsy Malone, Dave again, Central C, Russ Millions, H. Because, you know, the British, that letter, they say H. But if you spell the way the English say it, uh, sorry, the Americans say it, it's A-I-T-C-H-H. That is that artist's name. Tian Wayne, Lady LaSure, and Miss Banks, two big female artists that were coming to prominence uh, around the same time as people like Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, you know, uh, in the U.S., gaining fame, just, you know, the, the prominence of female artists. And to me, I well, I won't say that. I think that male and female artists in, in hip hop are doing equally interesting things all over the place. But the the diversity of what's going on in terms of recognition, at least in the in the female hip hop world, because I think it's always been there artistically, has really increased in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and and so that's kind of an overview of UK hip hop. Now, as you may know, I'm talking about US. I'm talking about UK hip hop is virtually everywhere in the world. One degree or another, either uh, people listening to it is probably almost everywhere, unless you know there's restrictions in certain countries or the technology is not there. But out of the around, uh, your count may differ, 195 countries in the world, official countries in the world, 92 of them have hip hop scenes. So almost 50% of all the countries in the world have not just, oh, somebody recorded something, but actual hip-hop scenes, hip-hop styles. Uh, Man, if I had more time, I'd read you the list or go through some of my favorite countries with hip-hop. I remember when I was producing that Hungarian song a couple of years ago and looking up Hungarian pop to see what kind of music was being produced there. It blew me away that pretty much all kinds just like in the States, in the UK, in other countries, including hip-hop. And so that was kind of awesome. Uh, Now, contrast with this, 50 years of hip-hop, 92 countries. Rock music has been around, let's say, 70 years officially. That's 20 years longer. Rock, according to some sources, Wikipedia and a couple others, is in 102 countries out of 195. So recording-wise, 10 more than hip-hop, but 20 years longer. You can see how quickly hip-hop is catching up to to rock. And I think uh, something to illustrate is that the distance between the birth of rock and roll, which is somewhere between 1948 and the mid-50s, and the birth of hip-hop, which again somewhere between 1968 and the mid-70s, so a 20-year gap, it's 20 years, is much smaller than the distance between the birth of hip-hop and today, which just shows you, A, how long hip-hop has been around. It's like if uh, a 70-year-old person marries a 50-year-old person. 
Nobody's going to blink. All right, there's a there's a decent age difference, but they're both, you know, been around a while, they're grown, they know what they're doing. As opposed to if, uh, you know, 40-year-old person marries a 20-year-old person. That can be done, but the age difference is more stark. So the longer these styles of music are around, the older they grow, the less significant that change seems to the point where you may even say that the development of hip-hop was just a natural, one of the natural offshoots of rock and roll and, and the other styles that it came from, you know, because, because it, it, it really start, you starts to converge, you know, because it's further back in history. Compare both of those with electronic music, which has been around in some form since the 40s, at least, and in recorded form as far as releasing singles and stuff since, I would say, the 60s. Um, there might have been some in the 50s. Uh, there's only apparently 61 countries that have a significant electronic music scene. So that just shows you again the popularity of hip hop, you know. And yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. I've got a bunch of notes here. I don't need to, you know, go over that. But it does bring up something that I'm going to do in a future episode. I think it's going to be a pod fast. Because there's, there's just not quite enough material for a full episode. And I, I want to do a pop fast anyway. And that is that I make the case that in all of the world, there are actually only eight genres of music. Contrasting with a list I saw online that you know had 1,400 genres of music, which didn't include couple I specifically looked up, which to me, put those two numbers together, compare, contrast, and with my comment about it, that even the long list not having certain genres on there, and I'm going to help you understand in that podcast exactly why music is not a genre, exactly why, whether you say there are eight genres or a hundred or 1400 or 2000, so what? You know, too much crossover, too much bleed through. Uh, good music is good music. Music is music. So that I think is my final statement that I'm going to say about this the general uh, topic this week, which leads to, of course, the Spotlight song. Uh, I've discussed here and there that I've been involved with hip hop as a creator since the early 80s. Uh, I used to write raps back then that I maybe, you know, showed to my brother, performed for my brother or parents or something, but never did much else with, and would do covers of like around DMC and Beastie Boys songs at DJ sets where we had the instrumental versions and my friends and I would do that. My The first hip hop song that I wrote and recorded was released over 30 years ago now. And then I took quite a break from it for whatever reasons, and I won't go into them at the moment. Uh, if I, I'm sure I'll do another episode on hip-hop in some form, and I might do it then. But then, after the first Wreck album, I was commissioned to do some music for a film company and did a theme song for the first movie, which was also kind of a series that was you know, like a six-part series that was put together to make a movie called This End Up, a, a comedic uh, series about a movie co- moving company. Uh, and I wrote and recorded the theme to that. And that is now on 
the new album, It Wasn't Me. It's one of the uh, highlight tracks on that album. It's called This End Up. And so the lyrics riff on the movie subject of a moving company. The lyrics are comedic. You know, I go for making the the subject of moving boxes and helping people move into their homes into this serious, you know, like we can, we can kick it out thing. And the reason I chose this song is a couple of reasons. One is I don't have that many hip hop songs in my catalog. So, and I've already uh, highlighted some of those. So I couldn't, I I don't want to repeat unless I have to. And I, you know, got a large catalog of recorded music. So that I didn't want to do. I haven't highlighted this song, but also if you listen to the style and it's coming up in a, in a minute or so, so please stay tuned or look it up on streaming. It's everywhere now, uh, is not strictly what was going on in hip hop in the U S at that time. I use some, uh, global influences. You'll hear, I use some indie influences, indie rock and stuff like that. And then certainly some hip hop and techno influences. And that's how I like to produce in general. That's the kind of music that interests me. And I had just a ton of fun with it. And I think that you'll hear that in the song coming up in 30 seconds, probably. Are you a hip hop fan at all? If you've gone this far in this podcast, I hope you are. Did did you know Dizzy Rascal in the streets? Have you heard of them? Are you aware at all of any UK hip hop? Uh, it's, you know, other than people like Dua Lipa and, you know, the huge people that come out from the UK like that, Adele. I know there are a lot of crossover, but we may not know a lot of what's going on here. I'd like to know if you do, though. Let's talk about it. Are you into any hip-hop not from the U.S. or the U.K.? One of my kids speaks French, loves French music, has listened to some French hip-hop. I find some of that interesting. Like I said, some Hungarian. I don't know a lot about anything really anywhere else. But I'd like to know if you do. And where do you think hip-hop belongs in the overall history of music? This is not an argument we should even be having anymore. But it is a discussion we should be having. Because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for joining me this weekend, uh, this week. I've got an announcement coming up in a couple of weeks that's pretty big. And until then, uh, stick around, listen to the song, and I will talk to you next week. Company McMurphy. We got the firm grip. This ain't it. Life is a trip. This ain't it. And we'll never slip. This ain't it. This ain't it. This ain't it. When you want it now. This ain't it. Get the whole pow out. This ain't it. We're gonna make you proud. This ain't it. This ain't it. This ain't it.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 